difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it's shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Tosh Robinson, here again with... Scott Tobias. And Genevieve Kosky. Keith's sitting this one out so he can go run up and down a beach in slow motion, but we're assuming he's going to tire himself out and then he'll be back soon. <laughs> On the first half of this episode, we looked at Betty Thomas's 1995 comedy, The Brady Bunch Movie, which reproduced the 1970s TV staple, The Brady Bunch, on screen, with just a little bit of winking at the audience about how campy the original show looks today. In this half, we're headed to the beach for Baywatch, featuring Dwayne Johnson and Zac Efron as lifeguards who keep exceeding their mandate and running off to solve crimes. Like the Brady Bunch movie, Baywatch is full of visual gags and pointed nods to the audience in the fourth wall, but the actors mostly keep straight faces and pretend that they're in a real drama, where it actually makes sense for the schlubbiest guy on the beach to get hired as a lifeguard and score the girl of his dreams, and where it also mostly makes sense for a murder mystery, a drug cartel blowout, and a kidnapping to all happen within 10 feet of the busiest lifeguard station on the beach we're staring into the abyss here city council's already cut our funding it's up to us to restore the baywatch brand i'm matt brody ready for duty can you just uh look at my boobs i you should look at my face i'm trying but it's so close to your boobs (laughs) this is the guy you think is a good pr opportunity for us do some shots he's reckless With two gold medals. How many gold medals do you have? Probably zero. We got a dead body on our beach. That's not our job. My gut says there's some bad shit going on over there. And my balls say we need to check it out. My balls say... It's just take it easy right here. What do your balls sound like three-year-old girls? I don't know, man. That's just how they talk. But they're wise. All right, guys. How did Baywatch hit you? Mm, not so good. Not so good, uh, <laughs> Tasha. I did not have a great time at this. Though, though, I think we were saying before the show that we were all a little taken aback by just how much yeah, critics seem to hate this film. Yeah. Um, though I think our friend Josh Rothkoff had some kind things to say. It, and our our, um, our acquaintance, A.O. Scott, was also a little mm-hmm. bit kinder th- than others. But the consensus on this was like is that it's really dire i'm not sure I can, i'm on board with that yeah, there, but I, I didn't like it there's a glimmer of something in this movie that you can see peeking out mm-hmm. like the the opening scene i was feeling really optimistic about it like the kind of the rocks mitch character patrolling the beach and he, it's just like really digging into like what a ridiculous kind of hero character mm-hmm. he is there's like crazy like dolphins jumping around the logo and it, it was kind of the self-awareness that i was hoping i would get from yeah. from this and like that self-awareness continues throughout the film it's just buried beneath dick jokes <laughs> and not very funny kind of improv based comedy and like i i kept feeling like i was seeing a much weirder stranger movie struggling to get out and it just it couldn't and it it really kind of failed because of that yeah I, you're absolutely right though that opening is so smart because he's the the rock is playing mitch buchanan which is the name of the yeah. hasselhoff character and um you know he's just like he's perched well, it's only the rock can perch uh, mm-hmm. bald eagle like on top of his <laughs> uh, on top of the lifeguard station and there's like a stiff gust of wind yeah. and the flag stiffens and then he can just tell everything that's right. going to happen from then on out he's he's calculating the trajectory of this parasail as it's whipping through the air he just knows 
what's going to happen and he gets there in time to save the uh, victim drags him out of the water and then you've got the, the wave cresting the background with the title and the dolphins it's yeah. just like okay this this kind of gets it and this is going to be good and then, and then that's the best joke of the entire film <laughs> Oh, I you know, I don't know about that. I I think I liked this movie a fair bit more than either than you guys did or than the general critic consensus did. And maybe it's because I went in with literally no expectations. Like I knew a fair number of people that were really hoping for this to be like a big, surreal, hilarious, over the top mess. And I, I went in expecting literally, like, I, I think if anything, I went in kind of expecting to hate it, except mm. for the fact that, uh, that Dwayne Johnson's in it. I mean, you mentioned that there's like a glimmer of something going on. As far as I'm concerned, that glimmer is like the light hitting his teeth whenever <laughs> uh-huh. he smiles. He just, he has a very winning way about doing this kind of like macho yet self-effacing humor again it's like a weird balancing act the stuff that he does especially here where i mean it's very slightly harder edged than he usually goes like he's in the ads at least i feel like some of this was edited out of the film but in the ads he's calling people bitch and pussy he's like just constantly ragging on zach zach efron and i I have to admit, I laughed every single time he called Zac Efron in sync or Bieber or like whatever boy band uh, reference he was pulling but out Scrubs of his ass. But Scrubs did it first. Oh, see, that's that's the problem. <laughs> I've seen it. I've only seen a very small subsection of Scrubs. Yeah, that was like a ongoing joke in Scrubs where John C. McGinley's character was always calling Zap Graff's character like a girl's name, and it was like a big deal when he called him by his real name. Like that joke just felt taken straight from Scrubs. But I mean, the, the Rock like pulls it off because he is very winning. But I think the Rock was actually kind of a problem in this movie for me because, I mean, he's his performance is not. A problem, But the fact that this movie is centered on him, I think, is a problem because he is a movie star. He's incredibly charismatic. He's a hard worker. He can, like, deliver whatever you need him to deliver. He is not a natural comedic talent. I don't Mm. think that he is naturally funny enough to be the peg for a a comedy, you know? I think he would be a good straight man. But, like, both him and Zac Efron, I think the comedic expectations placed on them as the, the anchors of this comedy they it's a bad fit i think well i think that i mean we we talked about the brady Bunch before it would have been helpful i think to have someone who is more hasselhoff like that than the rock ends up being i think that would have made for a funnier uh movie to have that kind of cheesiness i mean you know the rock is still there's still a certain hipness to to him you know uh that, that he hasn't quite shaken and and uh he's not tacky in the same way that david mm, hasselhoff is Tacky's and, a good word for what was missing here <laughs> yeah well in rigor is really what's missing is just you know again if we're talking about the brady bunch that was so strongly conceptualized and mo- most of the jokes pay off on the premise and and this is like a collection of things that do reference the show and mm-hmm. do reference how silly the show is and a bunch of just random stuff yeah. that's kind of tasteless or broad and, and loud. I, yeah, I mean, I, I always like I'm kind of uncomfortable making this distinction without, you know, having heard it from the filmmakers, but I'm pretty sure that like a fair amount of this comedy was improvised. Um, like, I don't think this was as tightly scripted as the Brady Bunch movie was, you know, and we, we see in the credits of Baywatch there's a bunch of like bloopers and you see a bunch of like Mm -hmm. takes that were not in the movie and I I get the sense that like the jokes that maybe I didn't like were the ones that were improvised by the rock or Zac Efron or Mm -hmm. you know the the rest of the cast and 
that's kind of the de facto approach to a lot of comedy now. Um, but look at something like Neighbors, which I think is like kind of the tier that this movie was aiming for. The Zac Efron connection obviously is there. But Zac Efron was paired in that movie with Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne, actually, who are both like really, really strong comic presences and are smart and can tweak something just right. And, you know, for as great as The Rock is at pretty much everything, I don't think he has that like tweaked element to his character. I just find it difficult to believe that this was a like an improv heavy comedy film, because I don't think of any of these people as improv people. Like, I really enjoyed Zac Efron a lot in in both of the Neighbors movies. But he's he's definitely playing the straight man there. You know, he's playing the antagonist in the first one. And then he's playing just kind of this like soulful victim of his own uselessness in the second film. And he's like, all he's meant to be bringing across is kind of pain and vulnerability wrapped up in this like very macho meaty body. And it's meant to be like contrasting and, and interesting. And he's kind of doing the exact same thing here where he's all about like the vulnerability and the failings of the character and how he covers them over, you know, both with this negative 27% body fat body and the the bluffness of somebody who thinks he's on top of the world when he's not. So, but I, I just, I don't think of him as an improv comic. I don't think no, of... No, uh, he's not. I don't think of Dwayne Johnson as an improv comic. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, that's kind of my point, is they're not, but I think that this movie was made the way most comedy movies today are, which is that that is something that you do, you know, and you just, you, you see what sticks, you, yeah. you, you get some extra it's takes. Cause, yeah, yeah, because this is, we're, we're on digital and you can take as many takes as you want and until you strike on something funny. I mean, this is from the director of Horrible Bosses, which is touting for some reason. <laughs> so, but you have to go like pretty deep into the supporting cast to find someone who can reliably do that. I mean, Rob Hubel is here as like mm-hmm. a corrupt captain who you know is corrupt. The first the scene you see, you, you mm-hmm. see him, and like Hannibal Burris is always funny and brings an interesting comedic texture kind of with his vibe but he's kind of killed off unceremoniously here he's not in very much of the film at all no so so you're left with this group of these like six central lifeguards who and they're all just kind of duds with the exception of Dwayne Johnson and Zac Efron but like the only reason they're not duds because they kind of have this movie star charisma not necessarily comedic chops I feel like the only person I really got that comedian vibe from, that that feeling that here was somebody who is used to improv-style comedy and possibly improv a bunch of his role, uh, was John Bass, the guy who was playing the, <laughs> Ronnie. the schlubby dude. Yeah. yeah, the schlubby dude, Ronnie, who... Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm so tired of that dynamic. Mm -hmm. And the second he showed up, like, mooning over the uh, lifeguard lady who appeared to have absolutely no personality except nice girl who's going to be willing to throw herself on his schlubby body, I was like... Uh, please tell me we're gonna like undercut this, or <laughs> we're we're gonna play with this trope in some way. We're gonna do something new with it, and it isn't just straight up. Seth Rogen gets the hottest girl in the movie. Like we're gonna acknowledge at least that this is a really dumb trope. This is a self-aware movie. It has yeah. to do it right. 
We didn't. We no. didn't. No, didn't blink an eye. No. Didn't pull a rug. It didn't bat bat a nose. I don't know. I, I already used an <laughs> and eye. He gets himself in into some pretty embarrassing predicaments too. But the, also, there's just that scene where there are, everybody's <laughs> trying out to be uh, the lifeguards, and we, mm-hmm. we get all of this stuff about how you know it's the most difficult job on the beach, and we're gonna like put you through hell. And you see all these hard bodies working their asses off for that job, and then they're like, "Let's give it to the comedy guy." Like this will this will work out great, and then you are assigned to bang him, so all of the <laughs> schlubby guys in the audience feel good about themselves. Yeah. Well, and like with that character, like the the reason they gave for him to become one of these elite lifeguards is like he showed a lot of heart. You know, he kept coming back. Mm-hmm. He really wanted it. But there's such better reasoning, and like it, there's hints of it in this. They just like didn't take the joke far enough. But there's like all these little like asides about he's going to be the tech guy and like no he's not the tech guy like but he ends up being the tech guy like that's what they end up using him for and like just acknowledge that just acknowledge that like you brought the schlubby dude on because you needed the tech guy you know and they never really engaged with that idea not that that would have changed the terrible dynamic with him and cj like that's a completely (laughs) different you know lazy trope but like if you're gonna do a lazy trope like you said like acknowledge it but they didn't acknowledge it here they acknowledge some things they acknowledge yeah. like like you said in the intro like how crazy it is that like this group of lifeguards is a uh, elite crime fighting squad you know and like zach efron's character is one who's like constantly saying shouldn't we call the police let's just call the police you know this like feels like a, a weird lazy possibly fun tv show yeah 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 i mean that that is every one of those movies has to have that moment um you know, it's 21 Jump Street has the, the, the really good version of this, which is uh, we're reviving a canceled undercover police program from the 80s and revamping it for modern times. <laughs> you see, this, the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity, are completely out of ideas. So all they do is recycle bleep from the past and expect us not to notice, which is great. But Baywatch's version is sounds like a really entertaining but far-fetched TV show. Wink. I, he shouldn't, Zach Efron should not have actually said wink. Yeah. <laughs> that was a big mistake. One of the many mistakes of that character, too, is like, that was a, that was supposed to be, I think, a Ryan Lochte. Ryan Lochte, yeah, but, for sure. Well, but then just if you're going to do that, then go all the way with it. Bleach his hair. Come yeah, on, do something <laughs> like really. But but they could have done that Brady Bunch thing and really gotten the feel of Baywatch right, gotten the reference, some of the references right. Um, you know, had a, a certain amount of self awareness and silliness to it. I think that would have worked so much better than just occasionally doing it and then just throwing everything else at the wall it was frustrating this movie um for me i mean one of the problems was just like i was fine with the dynamic between efren's character and dwayne johnson's character where efren is uh arrogant and entitled and shows up expecting to have things handed to him and dwayne johnson says it's not going to work that way but they they hit that story beat like 47 Mm -hmm. times i mean it just it gets really really repetitive uh, it's like the same dialogue over and over. And as I say, I liked the movie, I think, more than a lot of critics did. And I laughed at a bunch of the jokes. But around the fourth time Dwayne Johnson was reading him the riot act about how he can't be so entitled and he's not getting on this team, I was like, did they mix up the reels? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I've been going to mix up the reels uh, humor a lot lately. And it, it really does not work in a digital age where the whole <laughs> film is just like vomited forth in one digital track. But it, it really felt like we were just watching the same act of the movie over and over and over maybe that's why it's 116 minutes long 
Like, it does yeah. not need to be this long. I mean, yeah, both Brady movies get in and out in about yeah, that's 90. Yeah. I didn't mention this when you were, you were talking about it in, on the first episode, but you were saying the um, real estate subplot wasn't really explicated that well. It's like, well, yeah, but they made it 90 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> but you forget. They cut, they cut that footage. If, the, if it existed, they were committed to, to making this movie a proper length. <laughs> I'm definitely not saying that that movie needed 10 minutes uh, like more explaining how escrow works <laughs> or, you know, the ins and outs of like collective real estate bargaining. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly just saying like within the real world, it didn't make a damn bit of sense. And I mean, this is admittedly a world where you can show up with a giant novelty check and press <laughs> it into the hands of the guy who's auctioning your house, which just automatically happens with your house still full of all your stuff. <laughs> Whatever. No, you're I mean, you're right. It didn't need the extra stuff i think they could have still gotten out with 90 minutes with like half of the conversation about the neighborhood and the lawsuit uh converted to making the plot make sense but it definitely didn't need to be longer this definitely didn't be be shorter and when you were talking about oh my god tasha really did her research yeah i did my research it took three hours to watch both movies (laughs) because they're both a tight 90 minutes did either of you ever see any episodes of baywatch the television show Nope. So that's just it. Like, there are things in this movie that I find, uh, like, a little baffling in a where did they come from thing. Like, Zach Efron's character suddenly turning up in drag for no reason. And uh, I automatically, like, get my back up just a little bit because it's like, is this, like, a transvestite joke? Like, is this just... Because he's not in drag. He's in a dress and bad makeup. Like, I mean, he's not, like... Well, okay, he's not... Well, I mean, he's got a pretty nice little wig. Like, he he does seem like he's trying to pass. Maybe. I don't know. Either way, it's it's a terrible, lazy, semi-offensive joke. (laughs) But is it a terrible, lazy, semi-offensive joke that is drawing for something specific in the series and that's why it's there, is my question. I have no idea well i mean there are a lot of episodes of baywatch out there oh my gosh yeah. like 320 some episodes two or three made it, for tv movies it ran for a solid 10 years it, it did i mean it's a fascinating story i mean that it existed first as a network show and and kind of flopped and then it was revived and, and found its a real success internationally in the syndication and it makes sense that it, ha- it has that brady bunch quality where i think i think people recognize that it was not you know a good show but it it certainly had certain purient appeal, and it was just one of those watchable shows. You know, I did. I we kind of missed me a little bit. It was ran ran through most of the '90s, and by by that time, I was in, in college and really had no interest in the action in Baywatch. But uh, of what I had seen of Baywatch, I wish that the film had done more to evoke that quality, even do what the Brady Bunch movie did, which is just maybe slow things down a little bit, film sequences like like the television show, play out how, again, tacky everything is. Um, that would have helped. You know, I hate to say tell filmmakers how they're supposed to make movies, but uh, I just think this, this... But we can tell them how not to make movies. Yeah. And I, this, <laughs> this, 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 this is how do, you know don't make movies. What you just did, don't do that. That was not a good idea. That was not a good idea. But I think connecting it to the show and just... Finding that tone that was set in the in the title sequence, which is so much fun. I mean, just play up how ludicrous everything is, but also kind of fun and cheesy, and just it was it was really good. Uh, that you know, and it just loses that for that, and it worries me because these screenwriters, incidentally, this is a, a not so fun fact, is that they have been assigned to write the uh, remake of Starship Troopers. Ooh. Mm. 
<sighs> which needs i mean i just i think that that's a, such a bad idea to do that anyway but but you really need to have conceptual rigor to make that work and uh this is not there's not an evidence in baywatch that's for sure you know who does seem to be having fun here besides dwayne johnson and zach afrin who really do kind of project that they're enjoying you know these big meaty ridiculous roles the big meaty ridiculous bodies uh is priyanka chopra Mm -hmm. is the villain i want to talk about her like Mm -hmm. she her her material is pretty thin her material is pretty much wahaha i am evil but But i'm a woman but i'm a woman too yeah and i'm also sexy but she gets that weird little monologue up front where she establishes like what it was like back in the home country and how her brother was handed everything for being a man and how unfair it is. And so she, you know, she came here and she's going to get what she deserves through brilliance. And I was like, that's actually a lot of story beat for a character who's probably just going to spend the rest of the movie like uh, gloating and a pa- and like impatiently ordering for things to be done. Like I, I kind of liked that characterization. I did too. I didn't like where it, came in the movie because it came like in our first scene with her like it the the editing in this movie like how it was put together there's some really weird beats like i kind of mentioned hannibal burris's character being unceremoniously killed off like that was one and like that initial scene between priyanka chopra and oscar nunez who plays a councilman Mm -hmm. like it like just dumps you into this plot and also gives you all this character background without like establishing the connection to the main action it it was like a completely separate thing and like yeah it eventually came together it was just like a very it was a weird way to introduce that character and that storyline and just kind of i think speaks to the general sloppiness if there's any kind of mystery or twist that they're trying to pull they just yeah don't don't bother you know you know who's involved and what they're doing Almost instantly. Come but, on, you can do well, better. Well, this isn't a mystery. I mean, this isn't no, a, but it's I mean, an but action it's supposed film. To have, but, but I think it, it does, it is supposed to have some some twists to it. I mean, I it feels like it feels like they're going in a Mission Impossible direction where it's it's pretty much just, here's the bad guy, here's the good guys, here are the barriers, yeah. like, charge blindly forward. Yeah. I Like, I don't see a lot of, but who's the real villain kind of stuff going on here. I mean, I think there was a little bit of the, like, a supposed reveal with Rob Hubel's mm-hmm. character being, like, behind, he was in on it the whole time. But like I said, that's telegraphed hugely from, <laughs> from the first scene. It's like one of those, like, looks like double takes or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, when it's like, oh, okay, this guy's giving a look. Yeah. But but to go back to your point, Tasha, I do agree that like Priyanka Chopra, her performance is like on the right tonal level for this movie, and I think she is a lot of fun. Her character isn't that much fun, but like her performance is, and she's also just really necessary because pretty much all of the other women in this film are <laughs> scene dressing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's it's particularly weird in uh, the case of Summer, mm-hmm. the character who gets the buildup of somebody who's going to be somebody and then is basically there to be awarded to Zac Efron's character for turning into a less jerky kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Well, as I understand it, all those characters are from Baywatch and Matt Brody, Zac Efron's character, was from seasons three through five and recurring season six. And he had a long-term relationship with Summer Quinn in the fourth season and pursued a similar relationship with C.J. Parker in the fifth and sixth seasons. <laughs> um, what a dog. He was forced to resign because of a phony sexual harassment lawsuit filed by a series bad girl, Neely Capshaw, but was reinstated after the lawsuit proved to be false. So there's a little background on Matt Brody's character. <laughs> but like they are acknowledging the romantic partnerships of from the original show, but... 
I don't know. Do you need to do that? It, it could, particularly because it seems like Matt Brody got with everyone on the show. So, you yeah. know. <laughs> oh, and speaking of this, the mythology of the show, <laughs> the, the, the Wikipedia page for Mitch Buchanan, it's like longer than Lincoln or something like that. <laughs> it's like, the thing is, the thing is huge. 300, I, I mean, Lincoln didn't run to 300 I mean, like, episodes. You've got, you've got, I mean, there's literally, like, you have to scroll two different, <laughs> like, through two pages just on Baywatch nights. <laughs> It's just, it's insane. Uh, so there's a lot. If you really, if you need to know about Mitch Buchanan, there's a lot of information out there for you uh, that has been meticulously updated by Wikipedia editors. And meanwhile, John Bass, third-rate Josh Gad, second-rate Dan Fogler, doesn't even get his own page. Well, you know, he hasn't, this is big he hasn't been yeah. a character on a show for uh, 10 years. He hasn't been a character in a movie since, you know, Revenge of the Nerds in the 80s or something. <laughs> this, this character is so familiar from that period of just of having the, this uh, kind of dork who gets the girl. I don't know. I mean, to me, he feels like a Jonah Hill character. Mm, boy, sub, sub, sub. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jonah Hill has a bunch of other things going on, especially now. And, you know, he's had a much more interesting career, like in dramas and as a writer and as a producer and as a creative partner. Like, he's got more going on than I'm the schlub that gets the girl. Mm. But in terms of this performance, like, this is like an early Jonah Hill role. Yeah. Like, I'm going to stand around and, and be mopey and get my junk caught in a chair in a sequence that goes on for like how long is that 27 minutes yeah it was like that, that must have been uh, they must have been thinking that they could do a fairly brothers thing with that and just like the longer we make this the funnier it's going to be the rake effect because it's a similar thing of of there's something about mary there's, uh, there's some scrotal business happening in that film <laughs> that's scrotal scrotal business. business is very graphic and very brief though that's yeah. true, like, but, but I mean, but the set, the set piece goes for a long, on for a long time, and it's super embarrassing. And I guess this is shooting for that same thing. And it's just, I don't. But know. But it's it's not even the most prominent. Dr- pr- yeah, the most prominent. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not the the biggest scrotal uh, <laughs> sequence in the movie, which is the morgue sequence, which. What was that? I, I what? Laughed. I laughed at the oh. morgue sequence. You, so, you, so you like seeing Zac Efron I, juggling balls? I mean, <laughs> any opportunity I can get to see Zac Efron juggling testicles. I mean, if he's just if you're just juggling balls, like that could be anything. I laughed at this sequence. I think wow. because I'm so surprised. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, this reminds me of, of Siskel's reaction to, to Ebert's review of Cop and a Half. When he was like. He, he said it's like Santa giving somebody giving give him a gift wrapping it up giving <laughs> giving a gift. Um, but uh, right, well, why saying, did you like it? Tasha? No, no, I'm just saying like the 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 use of the word taint to me is is usually a uh, like I'm out the door like yeah. I'm done. It's just it's it's a stupid word for part of the body that already has a word, and so we like slapped a it's like a specific area, Tasha. Give it, give it its. Uh... It's already got a name. It's the perineum, right? Yes, it's the perineum. <laughs> like. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> my point is that I I just think it's a really stupid word. It's a really stupid term, and that this movie loves it so much. So I also find it difficult to explain why I laughed. I think it was because it was so unashamed and so shocking. Like we, we're we're having a, this conversation a lot at work at the Verge right now because of American Gods. Like it's very rare to see penises on screen, and to see a penis on screen for such a extended period of time so unashamedly and have so have a man handling it and have it not the source of the humor is not homophobia the source of the humor is like this is really gross you know this is a corpse and i'm 
combing my fingers through his pubic hair and somebody's taking a picture of me. Like, for me, there was a shock value in that that made me react in the way that shock value is supposed to make you react humorously. Like, I, I laughed at it while being sort of vaguely ashamed of myself, <laughs> but it, like acknowledging that they were pushing it like way, way, way over the edge. Are you saying that though it's funny with taint? It's uh, compared to, compared to what, what's the other? What's the term? Perineum. No, I, I mean I certainly can't. You do like a health class, like the next picture show health class where I learn this stuff. Well, apparently you need it. We'll we'll bring diagrams next time. I mean, I, really, I, I do. I, you know. I'm just letting you know, Scott. The internet is a thing that exists. All right. I don't uh, know if you want to Google that though. All right, I'm completely out of perineum jokes. I, I have no good perineum-related transitions. So I'm just going to wrap this up uh, and say that we'll be back after this break to What's talk. What's the transitional zone of the, uh, <laughs> of the body? Wow, Scott. Wow. You did it, Scott. You segued the heck out of it. Thank you. So we're going to transition out of this segment, like unto the perineum. We are going to move from the, the area that we were in to a different, darker area. <laughs> <laughs> to talk more about the connections between the Brady Bunch movie and Baywatch and how they each navigate comedy. Dreamy, get over here. I need you to help me. Oh, dude. I need you to check his taint for needle marks. You want me to check his taint? Don't be a baby. Lift his scrotum. I'm not touching the man's scrotum. Lift his ball sack and check for anything unusual. There's not. Fuck. Oh, my God. Oh. Dude, it's a taint, man. It's a taint. Didn't even look. Oh, my God. Dude, there's been gloves here literally the entire time. You didn't even say anything. Yeah. Duh. Oh, I'm going in. All right. Tell me what you see. Hair. Lots of hair. Definitely not a groomer. Get deeper. Lift the balls up higher. And get closer. Oh, God, it stinks. I don't know, man. There's a big something. There's something. Oh, there is a hole. That's just his butthole. Smile. <laughs> Good job, Doc. <laughs> Posting that. Do not post that. The internet is forever. All right. We've almost stopped giggling about taints, and it's time for connections when we bring two films together and talk about all of the things they have in common. We've really avoided talking about the cameos, mm -hmm. and uh, the, the cameos are a really important part of the Brady Bunch movie that we very deliberately skipped over. It does seem like part of the formula with this style of comic movie is you have to have people from the old thing to kind of cast their blessing over the new thing. And there were actually a whole bunch of uh, cameos shot for the Brady Bunch movie that were cut for time. Uh, they were all talking about the real estate. <laughs> they, <had to> cut. <laughs> they just had them on to explain at great length what the real estate deal was. <laughs> no, I looked it up. Uh, the original thing I found says, scenes featuring the original Bobby, Mike Lookinland, the original Cindy, Susan Olsen, and the original Marsha, Maureen McCormick, as a cop reporter and a lemonade lady were all filmed, but they were all cut. I am really surprised at that. Like, unless those scenes were, were bad in some way, or maybe, I mean, maybe maybe Betty Thomas is just, like, uh, ruthless. Yeah. But, I mean, it would seem like, like that is minutes. your currency you know, with a film oh, like this. You know this. what it might be? Maybe Betty Thomas is, like, David Letterman and, like, people are cut from Survivor. Do you remember that bit that he had uh, where people who had been cut from Survivor, you know, they got to be on the show, but he was so he had so much contempt for the whole thing that he wouldn't let them sit, sit down on the couch next to him, and so they were all off in the background. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Uh, so maybe it was that sort of thing. Maybe she, it was a obligatory thing that she didn't want to do, and so so she cut cut all but a few. I know that's funny, Scott, but I don't think that's the case because I think I think the Brady Bunch is like very 
happy to have its its cameos like i think it it draws attention to them and it like it's part of the fabric of the movie it draws attention to them but one thing it doesn't it again it doesn't break the fourth wall which Mm -hmm. is interesting because by comparison with baywatch like baywatch practically puts hasselhoff and anderson on pedestals and says Mm -hmm. here they are well it puts them in the credits it puts them in the opening credits which is like really stupid especially because pamela anderson is in literally the last scene of the movie Mm -hmm. so like you're spending the whole time like okay you know she's gonna show up when's she gonna show up why hasn't she shown up yet this is you know like then they make such a big deal out of it and she doesn't speak does she i think she she just she walks on and sits down and it's pretty much like Yup, they contracted me to be here. Yeah. They, just, they make a joke about it being like in more slower mode. She walks in slower motion than the CJ of the movie. Well, you know, our CJs today, just things move so fast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think the, the MVP for cameos in Brady Bunch movie is RuPaul. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, that was like kind of right in the middle of RuPaul's ascension to sort of mainstream awareness. Like, I think like actually RuPaul was probably the most recognizable cameo maybe like davy jones for a certain era of person but for me rupaul is like the biggest cameo in this for sure i I do really enjoy the underlining of the davy jones cameo just with uh nobody at the dance knows who he is or cares but all the female teachers are flipping right the heck out like Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed that mechanic yeah but the whole business with uh, Hasselhoff showing up in Baywatch, I like for me, it, it felt flat because they hit it too hard. Mm-hmm. They were just way too proud of themselves for having him there and for setting him up the way they did. And I mean, he he's cameoed in a lot of movies. Like, yeah. he, he it's not does that hard that. to get Hasselhoff in your movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not saying that, you know, they shouldn't be proud of it or whatever. I'm saying he's done this particular like cheesy hi, I'm David Hasselhoff appearing in your movie kind of thing many, many times. So, like, why not have fun with it? Why not give him a character that isn't, hi, I'm David Hasselhoff appearing in your movie? Well, And there's like a, during those credits, blooper, whatever you want to call them, they weren't all bloopers. I, I really did hate them. Like, the, the last one, the one it's all building to is like a conversation between Dwayne Johnson and David Hasselhoff over in, like, so am I going to be in the sequel or something? But it was like, it was like them talking about how it, the logic of the movie didn't really make sense for him to be there. Yeah. I mean, I liked that moment mostly for Hasselhoff, like looking off screen and saying, all right, do I look tiny next to him? Yeah. Just like that, that little moment of, of non-ego with an actor or that like that little moment of kind of like macho fronting of, you know, I, I <laughs> compliment me and tell me that this is okay because I'm feeling a little insecure. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting moment. Yeah. Do you really want to be that muscular to swim? Well, I mean, it's it's better than being that schlubby and trying to keep up with all these. I just think think the rock would sink. He's the rock. (laughs) Now he can do anything but float. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Oh, wow. Good callback. Uh, I just rewatched that song the other day because. Delightful. Dwayne Johnson, it, that, like just seeing him on screen, he he is a hoot. I like when when, the the Oscars are like, we're not going to have any fun. Like nobody, they didn't submit that song that everyone loves yeah. that the Rock could have sung at the ceremony, and everyone been, been, had a great time. 
We are talking about your welcome from Moana for anyone yeah, who are. is not clear <laughs> on that. But we're we're straying. Go ahead, yes. Tasha. Uh, mostly just the point I wanted to make about like the cameo connection is it feels like you don't have to have them. And I'm also looking to 21 Jump Street here, although for anybody who hasn't seen that movie, I'm not going to spoil the moment. But it, it seems like it is required that you have somebody come in to symbolically pass the torch, mm-hmm. basically, to acknowledge. Maybe it's just a little bit of like, you didn't rip us off. I'm here. I got paid. It's all okay. Or maybe it's just wink, wink, elbow, elbow. There's an in joke here. But- yeah, and also, and also, like the other thing it's saying is, I'm cool with this, you know, because mm-hmm. because I'm cool with being made fun of because of these these movies do parody aspects of the of the show. And so, if you're in on the joke, that's a you know a certain level of blessing there. Yeah, and that kind of moving on to a different connection that it becomes an inside joke. And both of these films are pretty heavy in the inside jokes. I think, you know, in neither case are most of us the the ideal audience. Like, we don't have the Brady Bunch memorized. We did not watch 300 episodes of Baywatch. I watched a lot of Brady Bunch. That's why I said most of us. <laughs> okay, that's true. Two out of three. But the point is that if you are a fan, you're getting all of these little things, I think, in both cases that you wouldn't get otherwise. And those things are, as I said in the first episode, not required to understand the movie, but they're, they're a payoff. I mean, much like what the Marvel movies are constantly doing with, you know, if you're a comic super fan, you're going to know that that fuzzy brownish thing thing that's blurry in the background in that scene is adam warlock's cocoon and you're gonna go just ape poop but <laughs> I, I like that after we've really gone in depth on taints and perineums we were still going with poop you know there are places you shouldn't stray um <laughs> mostly i just uh, like there's a lot of fan service in both of these movies like if you're looking for it i guess i'll take your word on that on baywatch i guess i shouldn't because you're not a, a fan either but i like I'm hard pressed to think of what those moments are in well, Baywatch. Well, all the stuff that you were reading about, like this is a not only is an established character, but he's like following his character arc. Right, from the right. But show. I didn't get any of that from the movie. I got that from looking on Wikipedia just now. You oh, know, sure. like the thing that the Brady Bunch does is even if it's doing it inside joke, it's doing it so heightened that you're aware that it's a joke, even if you don't quite get it, and it's still like funny on its own. If there were like fan service things in Baywatch, I didn't get them. Yeah, that that to me is just such a big difference between these two movies. Is when you're addressing the original material or the original characters, just turning up the volume a little bit, you know, uh, making it a little absurd. You know, I mean, a lot of the things that happen in the Brady Bunch, like you know, Mike Brady giving imparting lessons and Marsha being as vain as she, like all you know, Jan Jan uh, having this all this jealousy. This, like it's all there in the original show just turned up a little bit and uh and i think that you know what baywatch gets right is that opening credit sequence which parodies you know the lassie like (laughs) instincts of the Mm -hmm. mitch buchanan character and i think if it it had been a little more directed that way where you um just play it up a little bit and keep it constantly related to the show i think that's going to work a lot that just would have worked a lot better quickly to give baywatch its due there there was one gag in this vein that i do think worked which was cj being the only one who runs in slow motion because the running in slow motion is such a quintessential baywatch thing and like even not having watched baywatch we all know they run in slow motion but turning that into cj is the only one in this whole movie and then the pamela anderson's not cj character as, as well like they're the only ones who move in slow motion like 
that's a funny way to tweak that so it's they're not just saying like hey we're referencing the show like there's a joke within that reference yeah, that's true good job Baywatch <laughs> you got two things right <laughs> three if you like taint jokes <laughs> which is I uh, like we having having spent way more time pawing through that taint than I thought we were going to oh my god <laughs> Why it's right there on screen? Uh, we don't need to get too much into this connection, but I, I did notice that uh, both of these movies have uh, have some crotch humor going on, and it's just it's really interesting to see how crotch humor has changed in ten years. <laughs> because in Brady Bunch movie, it's ah uh, somebody got got a nut shot and is curled up in pain, lar lar, yeah. like that's hilarious. What, and that's, what remind me uh, what what happens there? I, I don't... Uh, well, there's the thing at the end where the bully's coming after Peter just before his voice changes, and uh, he steps on a kick pedal i think and uh, oh, yeah. takes a hit in the crotch although i could swear that there's also a crotch hit joke with michael mckean as well uh, like there was a moment where i was like oh wow there there really is a lot of like just very 90s uh, maybe you're thinking of the hurt. treadmill joke <laughs> your tooth will flip in the tooth and then his tooth flip in the tooth and he goes <laughs> through the wall <laughs> that is really really broad <laughs> yeah. as long as we're talking brady bunch of crotch humor uh greg's pants with gene smart uh being impressed with greg's package you know there's some there's some objectification of male genitalia happening there as well some admiration for the pants those brady boys wear (laughs) they do wear very form-fitting pants i mean the 70s wardrobe in that film is just it's really on and it's in high contrast to 90s pants for men which were baggy very baggy they're very baggy Harder to get into than a Pearl Jam concert, right? That was, yep. a, good, that was a solid 90s joke. That's pretty easy to get into those baggy pants. There's plenty of room. <laughs> no, they were talking about Marsha. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what oh. I'm saying. By contrast, her pants are yeah. harder to get into. Uh, yes. Because they're 70s pants. Except when does she wear pants? She's mostly wearing uh, super short skirts. Yeah. Which is weird because the Brady's are so unsexualized in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you see all of those guys like mooning over her, it's like... Yeah, she's actually showing a lot of skin. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not nearly as much skin as it is on display in Baywatch. Like, that movie is a skinapalooza. You can't do a Baywatch film without it, really. It's, yeah. I, you know, it, that's the show, and that's the... I mean, there's no other reason the show survived for as long as it did, I don't think. Maybe people are reading it for the articles or something. <laughs> So one of the other things I had for connections is just the fact that both of these films uh, cast a couple of really well-known leads. And then as far as I know, pretty much everybody else is unknowns. Like I was unfamiliar with most of the actors. Oh, Priyanka Chopra is on Quantico, which is a a hit Mm -hmm. show. So, I mean, she's a known quantity to a certain segment of the population. I don't watch Quantico. I mean, Oscar Nunez has been in his share of films and Hannibal and Robert, like people that you're potentially familiar with if you follow the comedy scene, but they're also not, they're not story central the way like all of the women are like they're, they're a story adjacent. They're constantly on screen. They're constantly being referenced. They just don't really have much to do. My point was mostly just it it seemed like they were kind of reaching for fewer recognizable faces because these people are meant to be representing people that you've known in the past. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, again, I think it works better in Brady Bunch, which it just feels redundant to say at this time. But I think like in Brady Bunch, because Betty Thomas comes out of Second City and like the comedy scene, like, I mean, not saying that like the director is responsible for all the casting, but... But I think she probably brought a, maybe a little more like comedic savvy in terms of really knowing what an up and coming comedic talent looks like and is capable of doing. 
Whereas Alexandra Daddario, who plays Summer Quinn, like she has a really long resume. She's done a ton yeah. of TV work. Another, she was in the, that other rock movie, right? Where she, wasn't she his daughter in something? San Andreas was that? Oh my god! Oh yeah, you're right. She's yeah, San Andreas. But yeah, I mean, like she's done a bunch of stuff, and a, a lot of it is like TV comedies. Like, you know, like she's been on It's Always Sunny, and she... and apparently forty three episodes of All My Children. Yeah, I know. So like they're not unknowns exactly, but. It, it doesn't feel like they were, they were casting an ensemble. It feels like they were casting parts, whereas the Brady Bunch feels very much like it was a casted ensemble, you know? And, like, the movie bears that out. Like, all of the kids get their own storylines, and some are given a little more attention than others. I mean, Cindy and Bobby, you know, who cares? But here, Summer and, oh, God, Stephanie, <laughs> who is, like, just an absolute nothing character given nothing to do, and is, is like, one of the biggest names, as I understand it, of the original series, you know, but like so much of the focus here is on Mitch and Matt and like the two stars, whereas Brady Bunch does not do that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That was a really weird beat where Mitch got fired and he was like, well, you know, Stephanie should be the one replacing me. And it's like, who? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, uh, woman that's been standing behind him this whole movie. What's her face? Yeah. She apparently has a name and an extensive resume as a lifesaver, which is really important in this moment and hasn't been up until now. Maybe she was off saving people while while he was trying (laughs) talking to uh, the men were working out their issues. Fair enough. So I guess briefly, straight faced, we don't know we're in a comedy. Acting, I think, is big in both of these movies. Like, again, they both kind of acknowledge the fourth wall, but these performances for the most part are not, look at me, I'm hilarious. I'm, I know that I'm in a comedy. Like, the jokes land to the degree that they land at all in Baywatch. But like, in both cases, I think the when the jokes land, it's because they're being played straight. Well, and there's also, I mean, it's worth noting that we're dealing with television series from two very different genres. Baywatch wasn't really a comedy. Like, I mean, it it was certainly kitschy, you know, and I think like could certainly be watched ironically and, and laughed at, but it wasn't like, it, it didn't have, like what I was talking about in the first half, just like kind of the feather lightness of Brady Bunch that I think translates to the sort of comedy that the movie pulls off so well. Like, Baywatch is just like weighed down by, I don't want to say self-seriousness because I don't think Baywatch, the TV series necessarily took itself seriously, but it was setting out from this starting point of drama, you know, and from action. And just like coming from that starting point, I think it's a little harder to like mock it straight-facedly without just appearing to mirror it. There's certainly a universe in which I could see the Baywatch TV series making for a really good comedy, but I think this movie just didn't go for broke to the extent it needed to go for broke and didn't go for broke to the extent that the Brady Bunch went for broke. Hmm. Well, if you want to be broke, you can go find the Brady Bunch movie on DVD. Uh, But you can also find it as part of some very Brady packages. The people selling the Brady Bunch movie really want you to buy the movie, the sequel, and like every other Brady Bunch related movie that there ever was. If you don't want to go broke, it's uh, currently streaming free with a Hulu membership or an Amazon Prime membership. So if you already have either of those services, you can just sit down and watch it right now. Take three hours. You can watch both of them back to back. Baywatch is in theaters right now for what that's worth. And we'll be right back with our usual recommendation segment, your next picture show.
Finally, it's time to catch each other up on films or film-related items we've seen in the interim since our last podcast. We call it Your Next Picture Show in the hopes that it'll put some interesting choices on your radar. Genevieve, you want to kick us off? Sure. Inspired by a recent movie that came through theaters that I was hoping would be good and sadly was not, that movie being Snatched, starring Amy Schumer and Goldie Hawn. Um, I was inspired to watch a different Goldie Hawn movie because one of the main criticisms I saw of it was that it wasted Goldie Hawn. So I was like, I want to see some classic Goldie Hawn (laughs) movies. So I watched Private Benjamin, which is a great little movie. And I was like, I I had just the vaguest, vaguest recollection of like parts of it. And I don't know if I ever actually sat down to watch it. And I wanted to bring it up here just in the context of talking about comedic performances and like what. I think a good comedic performance can be. And I think Goldie Hawn in this movie is a really good example of what a good comedic performance can be because she does slapstick. She does physical comedy, but she has a character there. There is a character in this movie that has an arc and has emotions and you you know who she is from the beginning. And she's not just a series of jokes and ticks and goofy faces. It's really fun to just kind of watch her character develop throughout the movie while still maintaining the same kind of comedic energy. And I think a lot of that is just the ephemeral quality that Goldie Hawn has. And I think that a lot of people were hoping to see in Snatched that did not materialize. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It's from 1980, directed by Howard Zeif we'll say. Nancy Myers co-wrote it, so that kind of give you an idea of what, you, what you're in for. But um, yeah, if you've never seen it, check it out. And if you haven't seen it in a really long time or don't have the best recollection of it, I'd say rectify that. Check it out. That's really cool. I, I remember that movie coming out and I remember thinking that would be a really fun thing to watch. And all of these many years later, I still haven't. I wow. Either. So wow, I'm, really? I've seen, I've seen so many of the other Goldie Hawn movies too. And, that, oh, and, she's, and, that, and Private Benjamin is kind of the go-to film. Yeah, but. and like Mary-Kate Place is really good in it. Your boy, Albert Brooks, is in it for very, very briefly <laughs> in, in, in the beginning. I like your boy. <laughs> I just, I, it took me the longest time, it took the longest time for Goldie Hawn to grow on me mm-hmm. because growing up I, I had this impression of her as kind of a sub Meg Ryan kind mm-hmm. of a like she's a rom-com girl uh, who always plays like stupid blondes and maybe she is a stupid blonde and it, it took me a really long time to start seeing her in movies and realizing how much she had going on as a character yeah. actress. Yeah, I mean she's a stupid blonde in this movie, yeah. for, I, I, no doubt about she's it. She's way but... more willing to, she's got a way more do anything for a laugh type of mm-hmm. personality than Meg Ryan. Yeah, the physical comedy in this is, there, there's not a whole lot of it, but I mean she has a couple moments where she is like Jim Carrey level, just like loose limbs throwing herself around physical comedy and it's like wow goldie hawn who knew so <laughs> private benjamin hmm. that's my recommendation very cool is it uh easily it is, available somewhere? it is uh rentable on your on your various digital services not streaming uh anywhere that i could find but not hard to track down for three or four bucks very so, cool and worth it Tasha, what about you? You know, I usually come in here with like 10 things, but this is a this is already a long podcast. I'm going to keep it super brief. Uh, I ran across this video um, called Logan, Superhero Movies Get Old. It's just an essay that somebody recommended to me on YouTube. And it is specifically about the theory around how genre changes over time, how when you have a popular genre, 
it it persists for a while in the way that Westerns did, for instance, and then it slowly starts to mutate. And it gets into some of the scholarly theory around directions that uh, a genre goes in, how it splits off and and develops, how it plays out in uh, different kinds of stories. And it gives you a bunch of examples. And then it gets into Logan in specific and kind of shows how it's doing different things with genre that uh, it basically showing how superhero movies are kind of getting to the end of this arc where they're a very established thing. And now we've seen enough of them that the genre can start mutating into directions like burlesque and self-questioning and, you know, undermining uh, some of the tropes. It's really intelligent about some of the ways that Logan embodies these ideas, but it also just gives you a really interesting kind of overview portrait of like other genres and how individual films fit the bill. It's less than 10 minutes long, and it's like a little film class in explaining explaining genre within these specific examples, but also just in a way that gives you some tools for unpacking things that I think is going to be useful to me as a film critic. So it's called Logan, Superhero Movies Get Old. Uh, it's by somebody who's on YouTube as NerdWriter1. And NerdWriter1 has a whole channel that's understanding art, case studies and understanding art. And there's like, just looking over it, there's things like what the Truman Show teaches us about politics and how brothers communicate as seen in the Dark Jailing Limited. And just a bunch of things that I'm actually pretty eager to dig into. I would recommend starting with Logan superhero movies get old and just learning a little bit about possibly where superhero movies as a genre are going right now and over the next few years. I love a good video essay. And it is, in fact, a pretty good video essay. Scott, what do you have for us? Uh, well, one of the things I do as a freelancer is write uh, recommended movies that are streaming uh, these lists uh, for the New York Times watching site. I do it. That's true. Um, uh, <laughs> I get recently, those emails. They're good. Recently, I did a list of documentaries about political activism that are currently streaming on Netflix. There's a lot of really good titles on there. There's The Square, which is about Arab Spring and its aftermath in Egypt. Um, there's How to Survive a Plague, which is a, a, about the effective and multi-pronged efforts of ACT UP to fight fight uh, the AIDS crisis. And uh, and there's the new uh, documentary, Get Me Roger Stone, uh, about the roguish dirty trickster who has been operating on the fringes since Nixon. Uh, but the one that really stood out for me was uh, a movie called The Black Power Mixtape in 1967 to 1975, which just now occurs to me overlaps almost entirely with the Brady Bunch <laughs> TV show. So we were talking about the contrast between what was going on in the, in the real world and what was going on in the Brady Bunch universe. This is a pretty stark contrast. In any, in any case, uh, the Black Power mixtape is constructed from footage shot by Swedish journalists in the turbulent years between 1967 and 1975, and they wanted to show, basically, they wanted to show the country as it really is. That was their goal. Uh, and what they ended up doing is focusing on uh, radical black activism, uh, from Stokely Carmichael to Angela Davis to Louis Farrakhan. Uh, and a lot of the footage they, they got here is really great. You know, you, you get an intimate look, especially at Carmichael, that stands in interesting contrast to his persona, which is m much more provocative. But the doc is also creatively constructed as a kind of artful montage. It's got music by Questlove and Omas Keith. It's got poetry readings. And it makes these sort of thoughtful connections between past and present. It's a really good montage movie. 
um, creatively done, and some of, the, some of this footage is amazing. So uh, I, I was impressed. You can certainly take old footage and make something boring out of it, but this is a really dynamic documentary, I thought. Yeah, I, li- I like it a lot, too. It's been a couple years since I've seen it, but uh, yeah, I really like the, I guess you'd say, the mixtape quality, just mm-hmm. kind of the, the making connections through different media throughout the film. Is it still streaming on Netflix? It is. Okay, I think good. all these things are. I mean, there's some, there are a lot of really good ones on that list, so if you want to look on, look to the New York Times watching site, um, which is a good place to go if you want to see what is on streaming that you might want to check out. There's a list, and I, I can recommend most of the films, almost every film on that list I, I really like quite a bit. So Ooh, uh, Now I want to know which one you don't like. <laughs> no, this one is okay. Uh, <laughs> and I want to know what the title of that is again, because we always need to say it again at the bottom. It's called The Black Power Mixtape, 1967 through 1975. Gotcha. Yeah, I've never seen that one, but one of the other ones on your list, The Square, uh, I reviewed back in the day, and I enjoyed that a fair bit. That's oh, yeah. That's a really, like at the time, it was an extremely up-to-the-moment doc. Oh, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure it's dated a little bit now, but there's still there's so much in there that just feels like it feels like watching the news right now. And you should watch like if you want the other one of the other ones I recommended is called Winter on Fire. It's about uh, the Ukraine, and it was it was it's so similar. <laughs> the, the two films are so are parallel so nicely because it's it's about you know a youth movement that that ousted a president, and then but they had to deal with a lot of aggressive to say the least uh, um, behavior by the authorities and you know and really just a, a struggle on the part of the the young to create a much different country than they've been uh, living in so wow uh, good films yeah that's that's quite the watch list though that's gonna <laughs> yeah, keep you, yeah it is keep it you busy is. for it's a while. lot but if I, if I go to the list and look at the films and see if a subject interests you and then i would do it that way very cool thank mm-hmm. you guys Well, that's it for this week's edition of The Next Petra Show. Our next episodes come out June 13th and 15th. Scott, what do we have lined up? Well, with Wonder Woman currently lassoing up some money in theaters everywhere. <laughs> sorry, I know. Uh, we considered a number of options for a Next Picture Show pairing. Uh, we could have gone the conservative route and chosen the original 1978 Superman, another DC movie about a non-human superhero who develops an appreciation for our flawed, stupid, but redeemable selves. Uh, we could have gone uh, the off-the-wall route and chosen Splash, a fish-out-of-water comedy, also <laughs> about a non-human adjusting to the messiness of the real world. But instead, we've decided to pair Wonder Woman with Stanley Kubrick's 1957 anti-war masterpiece, Paths of Glory. Uh, for one, we've been dying to do a Kubrick film, and it seems like a nice gear shift after this week's <laughs> pairing. Uh, but there are strong connections between these two very different films. I mean, both are set in World War I. Uh, both critique the cowardice of leaders who send their troops out to the slaughter. And both are about how war diminishes our humanity without entirely extinguishing it. Paths of Glory is on Criterion and various pay streaming services. And if you happen to have Tribeca shortlist, you have that, have that subscription, you can watch it there for free. So uh, no matter how you see Paths of Glory, you got to see Paths of Glory. It's a, it's a classic. I'm looking forward to that one. I mean, Annie Kubrick, but uh, Paths of Glory is a really great film. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, uh, we would love to hear your feedback on this week's discussion of the Brady Bunch movie in Baywatch and anything else film-related you want to talk about. We'd like to include your thoughts on future episodes of the show. You can leave a short voicemail at 773-234-9730 or email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. Finally, where can we find everyone these days? Scott? Uh, well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Scott underscore Tobias. 
you could find uh, my piece about about Baywatch and self-aware <laughs> comedy at Washington Post, where I've been writing quite a bit lately. Uh, you can also find me at New York Times, uh, NPR Vulture, Variety, Uproxx, uh, Guardian, um, and I'm also the editor-in-chief of Oscilloscope's Musings blog. Uh, what about you, Genevieve? I am on Twitter, at Genevieve Kosky, and I am the deputy culture editor at Vox.com, at the culture section there. And that's it. Tasha. <laughs> you can find me writing about film and TV at theverge.com. You can find me writing about books at NPR Books. You can find me talking about Indiana Jones recently on the Indiana Jones Minute mm-hmm. podcast. And I just recorded some uh, episodes of Aliens podcast. So that's going to be coming up in, uh, in about a month or so. I'm set to record a few sometime soon. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it mostly. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Tosh Robinson. You can stay updated on The Next Picture Show by visiting nextpictureshow.net, via Twitter at, at nextpicturepod, and via Facebook at facebook.com slash nextpictureshow. And if you haven't subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts already, please consider it. Apple Podcast subscriptions are an important part of getting podcasts more prominence and more listeners. And while you're there, we appreciate every rating and review. Every thumbs up helps us find new listeners and keep the show going. Thanks to Colin the Animal Griffith for his assistance in producing the show. And thanks to Genevieve Kosky for providing recording space at her home base, Genevieve Kosky's apartment. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the Film Spotting family of podcasts and the Panoply Network. Please tune in next time.